Now all across North Carolina, it's Carolina Newsmakers. Here's your host, Don Curtis. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. Uh, This program, of course, like so many news programs, seems to be uh, focusing completely on uh, the current pandemic, the COVID-19 situation that we're all living in. And uh, so many people are affected, but the, the governments of the state of North Carolina, the county governments and the city governments are very much affected. And so with that in mind, we have invited Paul Meyer to be with us. Paul is the executive director of the North Carolina League of Municipalities. This organization represents the cities, uh, some 540 cities, towns, and villages across North Carolina and assisting them in their planning. So, Paul, first of all, welcome to the program. Delighted to have you with us. Thank you. I appreciate you inviting me here, and it's uh, good to see you as always. Well, uh, and of course, we're, we're doing this program uh, socially correct. Paul is in his office. I'm in my office, and uh, uh, that, that's uh, one of the things that's happening, Paul, and I, I don't know if you're having this same uh, result, but a lot of us are learning to deal with Zoom and uh, teleconferencing and so forth, and it's, it, it's uh, not a bad idea. Not a bad idea. We, uh, our league had its first virtual conference back in, um, back in June, and uh, we had over 700 uh, uh, city officials on that virtual conference. So we did it in this format, and uh, uh, one of the highest attendees, attendance that we've had in quite a while, and a lot of small towns participating, which was great. Well, a lot of business people are finding out that a lot of business travel probably will never return because they're finding out that this is a far more effective use of people's time. So there are some good things that are coming out of this and we're learning to use technology in a way we've never used it before. But uh, what I like about zooming is for example, while we are in two different locations, you and I, uh, I can see you and you can see me. And so it's, it's almost like being there. Uh, let's talk it. about, uh, let's talk about revenue because I guess this is uh, one of the things that's having the biggest impact on the 540 cities and towns and villages across North Carolina. Uh, let's, uh, let me get your view and opinion on what is happening to the cities with regard to their source of revenue. Yeah, this is a serious issue for us. Um, obviously when commerce slows and uh, jobs are lost and people are not buying things and people are not going out the way they normally do and conducting business the way they normally do, Sales tax declines, uh, de- decline, occupancy taxes decline. Um, eventually, property taxes uh, will not be paid by businesses that are no longer in existence. Uh, the league is estimating that by Ju- um, June 30th of 2021, cities will have lost a combined $600 million statewide uh, related to those downturns. And so, uh, unless there is significant state and federal help to bail that out and support those cities from these losses that we did not create, that were created by a communicable disease, uh, you'll see the cities actually extend the recession by cutting their spending on infrastructure projects. Um, You know, these are private sector companies for the most part being paid to put pipes in the ground, pave roads, um, take care of sanitation issues, uh, and eventually, if we, uh, you know, if if the economy does not recover or we don't have the revenues to replace, you'll see cuts in uh, public safety and other things that cities provide that we all benefit from. So 
uh, yeah, this is a big deal. Well, of course, uh, you know, North Carolina operates on a balanced budget situation. The federal government does not. What type of federal aid uh, is, has been provided so far and what might, might be on the horizon? So uh, for those of you that are paying attention to these issues, the federal government passed the CARES Act back in March of 2020, and it provided money to governors uh, across, the, across the nation. There's the Coronavirus Relief Fund, and about $1.6 billion was provided to North Carolina um, that the state legislature has since allocated 300 million of that 1.6 uh, and have run all of it through county governments. Uh, cities are guaranteed $75 million at this point. So $75 million against what we think a projected loss of 600 million. So um, this whole, uh, dealing with this whole issue it was, the, the, it was supposed to be locally led and federally supported. The mayors and city council members were the front line of dealing with the disease initially or the pandemic initially with the assumption that the federal government would be providing support to, uh, to buoy us and to protect us. And thus far, uh, $75 million to show. That's not enough. Well, so many of this, the services that a city provides uh, to its residents, uh, water, sewage, garbage collection, fire protection, these things uh, are things we just absolutely cannot do without. And so you look around and you say, where, where can there be cuts if necessary? Because in most cases, uh, uh, most of the services that cities provide are, are services that just have to be uh, carried on. No, that's exactly right. And, you know, these are services that provide the sort of the basis for economic development, for private sector investment, and for quality of life for residents. And so um, we do know that cities coming into their 2021, 2021 budget made significant cuts. And, uh, and you'll see that play out through this year. People will be wondering why, you know, the the parks are not being maintained the way that everybody would expect them to be maintained. Um, they're going to be wondering why p police patrols are going to be reduced in number. There's a number of things coming that are not going to be pleasant. And so again, we're looking for the state government and the federal government to provide relief so that average citizens and the businesses that exist within cities are not hurt. And of course it's tough for the state government to, uh, to give much help because again, there's a balanced budget requirement and their revenues, the revenues, that they receive are also being greatly affected. So the hope actually right. has to come from the federal government. That's correct. And there's, a, there's actually a package right now in D.C. being argued about between the uh, U.S. Ha uh, the House of Representatives and the, and the, and the Senate. And uh, we're hopeful in conjunction with county governments and with um, the National Governors Association, the National League of Cities, uh, that will have direct appropriation to cities through whatever the next package looks like. Um, right now, no city in North Carolina other than Charlotte is guaranteed any relief funding the way that the federal and state government have set up these monetary flows. So we're asking for direct revenue replacement coming from the U.S. Treasury. Out of curiosity, why is Charlotte an exception? Uh, because the way the CARES Act was written, um, jurisdictions over a certain population were given direct appropriation. So 
The city of Charlotte and three county governments in North Carolina received direct appropriation. Everybody else was subject to whatever the state legislature did. So those three counties, I guess, would be Wake, Mecklenburg, and what, Guilford? Guilford County. You yep. got it. So those four units of local government have received direct appropriation. Everybody else has to uh, compete for the crumbs that remain. So this, uh, if the most optimistic of the plans that are being considered passes, what, uh, what relief will the cities, the average city get? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I, I don't know. And the reason I don't know is everybody's got a different distribution formula. Some folks are looking at population. Some folks are looking at what's called the community development block grant program to figure out how that might work. Um, there are some, there's one version where the money does not flow directly to cities. It goes through the state legislature here again, or the governor. So um, again, it, it'll just come down to whatever the Senate and house can work out. Uh, the Democratic-controlled House of Representatives has money for state and local governments in their package. The Republican-controlled U.S. Senate does not currently. So it's a, it's a, we're caught in a partisan wrangle, and, uh, and as, as usual, we're hopeful that uh, cooler heads will prevail and uh, folks that don't want to see local governments uh, dragging the economy behind them and the recession extended uh, will you know, that we'll receive some help. Now, of course, cities are part of counties, and uh, very often the jurisdictions in, sort of overlap. A lot of the services have been combined through the years for efficiency, uh, but uh, there are certain things that the county takes care of, certain things the city takes care of. Uh, in these pieces of legislation that are being considered, uh, how does the county function uh, uh, come out any better than the cities? Well, the counties have come out financially better than we have. That is for sure. Uh, we originally thought there'd be a 50-50 split. There has not been. Uh, as There is some direct relief coming to county governments through other portions of the CARES Act. I'm getting a little bit more detailed here. But the bottom line is um, any portion of county or city government that is not sort of protected through this uh, you know, it just results, it all flows downhill ultimately to the individual citizen or the business owner. And that's uh, for, for our state to grow and thrive. We don't need any portions of it suffering that way. Of course, it's fair to say that uh, anyone who lives in the city also is a resident of the county. So they do benefit. The residents of the city still have the benefit of the county money. It's, it's, it, but it uh, doesn't help those city councilmen and mayors who are, uh, considering how they're going to come up with their budget shortage, I guess. That's the major that's, problem. That's right. There are certain services that the city provides that will be cut, and, and that's, that's, the, that's the damage. That's, and typically, that's public safety, which is about half of your typical municipal budget. Well, that's an interesting point. I think in one of the future segments of this program, we may get into the individual percentages of what is spent on what in the average city, because that's – that's of interest, and uh, certainly uh, when you start looking at budgets, you have to look at it across the board. Our guest is Paul Meyer. He's the executive director of the North Carolina League of Municipalities, and of course, we're talking about the effects of the COVID-19 crisis on the cities of the state of North Carolina. We'll be back with more right after this message. Not completing high school is more of a social thing. 
than it was an academic thing. I came out in the 11th grade. Nobody was embracing you. The kids were cruel. It was very difficult to be gay. Even though all these years have passed, I still had that longing to have my diploma. The hard part was determining that I was gonna do it, but I definitely didn't do it alone. At age 30, with the help of her mentor, Carissa finished her high school diploma. I have a mentor, Maria. She convinced me to continue my education and to finish what I started to get my diploma. Just never judges. She's a true role model. If you're even considering getting your high school diploma, go get it. You can do it. No one gets a diploma alone. If you're thinking of finishing your high school diploma, you have help. Find free adult education classes near you at finishyourdiploma.org. That's finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by the Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. You're never completely ready to adopt a teen. For late nights writing English papers. For your teen's music taste. For dinners, where they talk more on their phone than with you. For the first time, they call you mom. You're never completely ready to adopt a teen, and you can't imagine the reward. To learn more about adopting a teen, visit AdoptUSKids.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, AdoptUSKids, and the Ad Council. We continue with Carolina Newsmakers. Here's Don Curtis. Our guest on uh, Carolina Newsmakers is Paul Meyer. Uh, he... Uh, Initially joined the League of Municipalities in 2009, and uh, when did when did you actually become the the, the chief honcho? Uh, it, it's not a, <laughs> not sure I'm quite there yet, uh, but I I, uh, I became the director in in uh, 2014. So 20, yeah, so you're you're uh, in the six year range now, and uh, chief honcho is not his actual title; it's actually executive director. <laughs> but chief honcho sounds good sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Paul, of course, is a graduate of Wake Forest University and received his law degree from Campbell University and, uh, of course, is, uh, uh, lives in, uh, in the downtown section of Raleigh in a historic area. So, uh, so uh, you, you practice what you speak. You live in the city limits of a town. Uh, let's, talk, let's talk a little bit about the fact that uh, uh, we'll get away a little bit from the crisis, although the crisis certainly affects this. Uh, cities, big and small, are all faced with infrastructure problems. The largest cities, of course, are concerned about growth, and the, every time the city grows, they have to grow their infrastructure, water, sewage, and that sort of thing. Uh, the smaller cities, on the other hand, especially some of those who are actually losing population, have aging systems that uh, are beginning to wear out. So uh, obviously, a lack of money for current operations is going to affect the long-range situation. How how bad is that uh, overall picture? So the, this whole COVID nineteen exposes all the cracks in the foundation that remained from the two thousand eight twenty ten recession. So there were a huge number of North Carolina cities that never recovered from that from that downturn. Uh, Dale Falwell, our state treasurer, maintains a list of financially challenged cities. There are about 130 cities on that list. Many of those 130 own and operate either an electrical system, they own a water, wastewater system. And these are expensive systems to, to, to maintain. And a lot of times in those smaller cities, those systems were built for an industry that it no longer exists. So you have a declining population base, 
supporting a very large utility that is aging with a lot of deferred maintenance on it. When this whole COVID-19 pandemic uh, erupted in March, our, our governor, Governor Cooper, passed an executive order that actually prevented uh, the cities and towns from cutting off service for anybody who did not pay their bills. And as you might imagine, uh, there was no requirement that somebody prove that they had lost their job through co- because of COVID-19. So we suddenly saw uh, large numbers of people who could otherwise have paid their bills not paying their bills. In some of the cities, we have upwards of 30% of the, of the ratepayers not paying. And so what was a well-intended strategy to protect, uh, to protect individuals who were you know, with financial hardship has suddenly put significant burden on uh, the utilities themselves. And we had some utilities, some cities where they literally had one week operating cash left. Otherwise, they'd have to shut the utility down. So uh, you talk about these uh, smaller communities with aging systems. Uh, this whole COVID-19 piece has, has added a layer of complexity to this that uh, has gotten has gotten very very has gotten very very challenging. Now that executive order expired yesterday, so now cities are required to take payment plans up to six months for those individuals, and you'll see local communities working with individuals with hardships. But hopefully, we'll see no more freeloading that was taking place, uh, and hopefully, we'll see those towns survive. We were very worried that we would see towns ha- have to fold up shop. Uh, through this economic downturn. And obviously, we've got a long way to go. So I appreciate the question. It's really important. Those people who were given uh, some leniency in uh, paying their bills, will they have to make up their previous payment? They do. Uh, it's, a defer- it's a deferral. So yeah. that's what happened. But just like many things in life, if you go long enough and don't pay long enough and you, you it's deferred, you eventually can't pay because the, the, the balance gets too high. And yep. so our concern is that we've created essentially uncollectible debt through, I think, a well-intended attempt to protect people with financial hardship. So this is one of those invisible pieces that's out there. Uh, we're thankful that the governor has let that uh, executive order lapse uh, because if it had continued forward, uh, we would have had upward, you know, rising economic pressure on those utilities. Paul, did, uh, I'm sure there is a number out there, and I don't mean to be putting you on the spot, but is there a number that uh, we have that we all sort of agree on is probably the cost of the ultimate infrastructure repairs that are going to have to be made sometime during the next 10 years? Do you have that number at hand or even a close estimate? Yeah, I, I there was a study done three or four years ago that showed, now this is a statewide infrastructure deficit. The number was 26 billion. <laughs> that's a huge number. Uh, that's not just cities and counties. That's DOT. Uh, I'm sorry. It's not just cities. It's not just counties. It's not just DOT. It's also sanitary districts and all these other sort of authorities that exist that own or operate um, electrical, water, road systems, that sort of thing. 26 billion. Yeah. That's uh, with, with a B. <laughs> with a B. Yeah, that's, that's a lot of money. Uh, I don't think, yes. uh, uh, I don't even think Warren Buffett can help us with this. Uh, <laughs> we may have to turn to uh, Amazon or some of those folks who uh, 
seemingly they have all the money these days. There you go. Uh, the, um, of course, the other thing that is affecting so many of the, the uh, smaller communities is the uh, dying downtown areas. And a lot of cities had undertake, undertaken pro- programs to upfit them, and some very successful. Um, uh, I guess all of that is just on hold now. Yeah, we're seeing, again, cities have to pass a balanced budget. And so we've seen in their 20, uh, 2020-2021 budget, we've seen cities all across the state halting infrastructure projects, including things like sprucing up and downtown uh, you know, streetscape type projects. A lot of that stuff's on the shelf now because they're trying to decide, you know, whether to lay people off or, to, you know, I mean, that's where they are. It's, it's lay people off because raising taxes is just not a, and that's almost impossible right now, particularly in these communities that are small and have already economically challenged. What about the areas just outside the city? I know the annexation rules have been tightened to the point where cities were not able to annex. Uh, there was always arguments about annexation. Some people in the areas that were to be annexed thought they saw value in it. Others uh, did not want to be annexed. And so annexation has sort of slowed down. Uh, but uh, what are those folks going to do as far as the infrastructure that they're faced with? Because in many cases, that falls back then, I guess, on the county. Is that right? Well, a lot of times those uh, those areas that are just outside of the city limit, uh, you know, the county itself doesn't have a water or wastewater system. So those individuals are on a septic tank in a well. Uh, and, of course, nobody wants to be annexed until their septic tank or well fails, and then suddenly they want the city government to help them. And, uh, and in some cases, the cities voluntarily do that. Uh, in other cases, they say, you know, sorry, you you are going to have to be annexed to allow you to tap into our public system. So um, in some counties, they do have a water or wastewater system, but uh, typically those are municipally owned that are out in the unincorporated portion. And of course, uh, the other question is the uh, matter of public safety, because those areas outside the city now are depending on sheriff's departments, and they are looking to county governments for funding, and that that goes down the tubes. We've got another problem there. So the problems are certainly interrelated between the cities and the counties. And I know you, uh, your organization has such a good relationship with your counterpart that represents the counties. Uh, Do you you guys just sit around and commiserate with each other? Who has it the worst? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, we know we do. <laughs> There's no argument about that. Uh, well, but, uh, <laughs> well, we'll have to, we'll have to get uh, equal time on that to to the county commissioners and and, and see what they have to say about that. Uh, right. The other thing I was going to ask you while we got just a brief moment before we end this section. There's 540 cities, towns, and villages. Now, uh, essentially, what is the difference? Is there a difference other than the fact that a city just chooses to be called a city, a town, or a village? Is there any uh, thing that is a guideline of who is a city, who is a town, and who is a village? There is absolutely no legal distinction between those three titles. It's whatever ended up in your charter that the state legislature granted. So the town of Cary that has 187,000 people under 180,000 people is a town because it, when it was initially, when its charter was initially granted, it is called a town and it is still a town today. And Chapel Hill is a village. 
That is a village. Uh, there is uh, the city of Elizabeth, Elizabeth City, out in the eastern part of the state, is a, a city, and yet it is not a massive community. So there is no standard other than what is in the charter. I thought that to be the case, and I thought maybe the listeners would find that kind of interesting. But it, So it goes back to what the city chose to be, or the, ta- or the municipality chose to be at the time they were chartered. That's exactly right. What, is, what does it take to uh, charter a, a new municipality? Is that, has that been done recently? It has been. Um, it, th- this has slowed radically, uh, but you, you, can, you get a bill passed by the state legislature that literally is your charter, and that is how you become a town. A, a, ta- a city's charter could be, could be taken away by the state legislature, and sometimes when a city is having a very intense fight with the legislature, a threat will come that we will just revoke your charter. So we are in many ways subject to the whims of uh, the 170 legislators here in Raleigh. What was the last, uh, I may be putting you on the spot here, what was the last city or town to be chartered? Uh, you know, I do, not know the que- I do not know the answer to that question. It might be St. James, but I'm not sure. I know the town of Centerville just was deincorporated last year or the year before. That's the last one to, to relinquish its charter. Our guest is Paul Meyer. He's the executive director of the North Carolina League of Municipalities, and we'll be back as we discuss the problems and the opportunities and the challenges that the cities of North Carolina have uh, and will be facing during the next year or so. And we'll do that right after these messages. Hey, Dad, your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad. Your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey, why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can, making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org caregiving. That's aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Hey, Dad, how do airplanes fly? What's in this box? Is this tree good for climbing? How are babies made? What does this thing do? Kids are curious about everything, including guns. Talking to them about gun safety in your home is a good first step, but you can do more. Always keep your guns locked, unloaded, and stored separately from ammunition. Safe gun storage saves lives. Learn how to make your home safer at nfamilyfire.org. That's nfamilyfire.org. Brought to you by N Family Fire, Brady and the Ad Council. Now, once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis. We're back with Paul Meyer, the executive director of the North Carolina League of Municipalities. And, of course, in our first segment, we talked about the effects uh, on the budgets and other aspects of running the cities and towns and villages of North Carolina that is being caused by the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, but uh, we are also, of course, interested in the long-term situations that the cities have. And uh, we talked, touched briefly on annexation. Uh, but uh, what are some of the other challenges that the cities and towns uh, of North Carolina are going to be facing during the next 10 years that's high on your list? 
Well, one that is highly transparent and visible right now is the disparity of broadband coverage across North Carolina. This, this pandemic and folks having to operate remotely in almost every dimension of, of life makes it really clear which part of the state has robust broadband service and who does not. Uh, Ms. Curtis, you and I are communicating right now via a, a video conference. If I was living in a portion, if I was living in a community that might even be 15 miles outside the city of Raleigh, I wouldn't be able to do this with you the way we're doing it right now. So uh, this is this is definitely uh, exposing where economic opportunity exists and where it does not. We do not have wall-to-wall -wall coverage. Uh, cities were uh, taken out of the broadband uh, business uh, back in 2011. Uh, uh, in the in the wake of the city of Wilson establishing and building a fiber to the home network called Greenlight, which is in the city of Wilson, state legislature, uh, at the behest of the uh, cable industry, uh, did not think that the city government should be in that type of a that type of a, a role, and we had a we now have a bill at the state legislature that radically reduces the ability of cities to participate in either capital buy-down or just in the absolute provision of broadband service. And unfortunately, things like that, when you restrict governmental intervention, when there's not profit, you know, profit, uh, profitability in certain parts of our state, makes it really, really hard for uh, folks in rural communities to have the same opportunity to do what you and I are doing right now. Well, especially right now where we're talking about reopening the schools and uh, most of them are uh, certainly including a virtual school as a part of their program. So without broadband, that uh, handicaps the school systems in these areas. That's exactly right. And uh, my guess is you'll, we will, you know, we'll continue to see, you know, there's already population declines in a lot of these communities. And I can only imagine that this hastens that, uh, you know, it, people talk about this as uh as important as electricity, uh, it certainly is. And obviously if you're setting up a business or want to be able to run a modern current business, uh, this is simply something you have to have to make that occur. What percentage of the population is not served by broadband? That's a great question and there are multiple answers. Uh, there are maps that show in our state where there is high, high speed broadband but unfortunately, the way that we define high-speed broadband for those maps uh, is the equivalent of DSL. You remember back to what DSL was? Yes. Way back, way back when. Those maps still define that as, as high-speed broadband. So to give you an answer to that is very, very difficult because I would not define DSL as high-speed broadband in, in our current application. So I, I don't know the answer. Uh, ballpark. Got a ballpark. Um, I think I think the maps say that 95 percent of our state is covered geographically. I'm guessing it's probably more in, in terms of what people have a modern system. It's probably in the seventies. Seventies, yeah. Uh, is that in land area or in population, or both? Uh, that would pro that my guess is that's probably in in. That's probably in land area. That's my guess. But I, again, you can't, don't hold me to it because I'm not sure. Yeah, I understand. I pushed you on an answer that uh, there may not be one, but 
but it was fair to ask anyway to find out. Um, the other problem with lack of broadband has to do with uh, commerce uh, as well, because uh, the businesses are at a distinct disadvantage when they don't have broadband. And also now we're finding out that uh, so much medicine and medical assistance is be, can be provided by uh, broadband internet access. Uh, so this is something that we were hearing about, uh, and almost everybody agrees that this is a problem. So. Uh, how long does this, because I mean, this takes some time, not only does it take money, but it takes time to build this out. So what is the long range solution to this? First of all, how much money do we need to get broadband over most of the state and how long would it take to build it out? I think the issue is not how much money and how much time. I think the issue is, will the legislature allow diff, uh, creative solutions to be, uh, to, to take hold? For example, city governments, we've been asking the legislature to authorize us to buy down the cost of capital uh, for using, for implementing or lighting up dark fiber or leasing dark fiber to, to private companies to run systems. Now, what is dark uh, fiber? Dark fiber literally is fiber in the ground that is not being utilized. Um, so many cities, when they do road projects, put have put fiber in the ground while the road is torn up. They go ahead and put it in the ground in conduit for a day where that can be utilized, where that infrastructure can be utilized. But opposition from uh, the telecom industry, uh, a lot of those folks don't want cities involved with this in any way. And so we are prohibited from leasing uh, that city owned fiber uh, to a private company to operate broadband networks. A lot of the opposition to governmental involvement in this is coming straight from the telecommunications industry, cable TV. Uh, they, it's, it's almost as if I won't date you, but nobody else can either. So that's kind of how they're handling that. And so it's not about how much money. I think it's about whether we can, whether we are willing to open up the doors to creative solutions. Uh, the good news is the legislature has provided some funding. Uh, to the electrical co-ops over the past three legislative sessions to help in this way. But again, these were small amounts of money. Uh, it's a huge problem. Um, and if, if, we're, if, we, if we care about everybody across the state in terms of you know, everybody having equal opportunity to commerce and education, uh, we just have to have a po public policy change on this. Well, this is so important because one of the things that North Carolina has always had is a, a, a fairly diverse uh, uh, distribution of population, and that's beginning to narrow to the point where most of the growth is happening in the uh, Piedmont Crescent and uh, maybe a few areas like Wilmington and Greenville and Asheville. But other than that, most all of the growth is happening in a smaller area, and that's going to complicate some other problems. That's exactly right. There are 15 counties where the vast majority of the growth is taking place. And we're seeing population declines in 30% of the counties. Uh, it, this, this, again, lack of broadband, lack of economic opportunity, this is just going to continue forward. And for municipalities that are in these areas, it's get, becoming harder and harder for them to continue to operate, um, you know, a, a viable governmental unit that can, that can assist uh, citizens to grow their businesses and enjoy their lives to the maximum extent practical. Well, it's certainly, uh, it's certainly a serious problem that everyone's looking at. Anything else uh, long range come to mind that uh, is a 
problem that we're going to have to confront uh, perhaps after the COVID-19 crisis is, is uh, over? I, I think we're going to, I know we have our coastal communities that are, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're being, they're, they are experiencing natural disasters more and more frequently. And, uh, you know, if you, if you think about the ability of a coastal community to survive, it requires, you know, a beach. It requires, you know, houses to be sitting there safe and protected. Um, so there's, I think there's some serious issues about, you know, our overall, uh, you know, is there enough money in the pipeline to both protect those properties? Uh, and if there's not, then what happens there? Um, so that's a serious, that's a serious issue. Uh, I, I think other issues that cities are facing, you know, we have, we have a large road network. Um, North Carolina cities uh, own and operate 15% of the road system in our state. Um, and uh, we get a percentage of the gas tax, a very small percentage of the gas tax uh, to, to do that with. And, uh, you know, folks are looking for those roads to work and to be accessible and to be safe. And uh, the more economic challenges we have in other, uh, other areas of running our city, it gets more and more difficult to, uh, to maintain those, uh, those infrastructure investments. So uh, there's no shortage of issues. Uh, I, uh, one other issue I'd like to put out there for you, Ms. Curtis, uh, obviously uh, being a police officer right now is a very, very tough job. And we are seeing, um, we're seeing cities having a difficult time recruiting, uh, recruiting for those roles. Now, this is not a new problem. This has been going on for 10 years. I mean, this has probably been going on longer than that. Uh, but we're seeing uh, fewer and fewer people uh, being willing to be, to be serving in these public service roles. And uh, obviously, uh, and when you have vacancy rates uh, uh, that you can't fill, uh, that that becomes a serious challenge for for any community. So uh, that one's another one of those invisible ones that's out there. Is that a bigger problem in uh, larger towns or smaller towns? I think it's uh, you know anecdotally anecdotally it's it's in both. Uh, I think the small ones were already having trouble retaining their their police force because uh, somebody would get trained and then they would uh, they'd leave and go to a bigger city for a bigger paycheck and. Uh, they they spend all the money training them and then they leave and go to uh, to one of these Piedmont Crescent uh, municipalities. So I think the small ones have already had that issue and now the big ones have that issue for a different reason. Paul Meyer is our guest. He's the executive director of the North Carolina League of Municipalities. We're talking about uh, the problems the cities are facing, both short range and long range. And we'll be back with one final segment right after these messages. One in three adults has prediabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has prediabetes, with early diagnosis, prediabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has prediabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. <gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. 
Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. Tom has been a teacher for over 40 years. One day, I think one of the students had asked the question and he didn't remember the answer. And I also noticed that he was letting his class out earlier than they were supposed to let out. I was really starting to worry. Levi and I talked about how it would change our lives, but he was there beside me. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash stories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. We're back on Carolina Newsmakers. Our guest this week is Paul Meyer. He's the Executive Director of the North Carolina League of Municipalities. Before we get back to Paul, let me remind you that this uh, program is heard on many of our stations in a 30-minute format, so that means you're missing uh, two segments. And if you'd like to hear those two segments, you can go online to carolinanewsmakers.com, and our producer, Jason Kong, has... uh, separated those two segments and you can listen to those or if you'd like to listen to the entire broadcast or share it with a friend you can do the same thing carolinanewsmakers.com and also there's a huge archive of all the programs we've had on in the past including a number with our guest this week paul meyer paul we start off the program by talking about the impact of covid19 on cities and uh, it is a it is a big problem and it all starts with revenue and budgets. Uh, so uh, we, we talked about that a little bit in the first segment, but let's return again to that uh, and uh, sort of look at it and say, okay, so what are we going to do about those shortages that uh, are, are apparently going to be there because of uh, uh, the economic situation we find ourselves in? So, yeah, we're, we are estimating that uh, by the end of fiscal year 2020-2021, so July, by June 30, 2021, uh, cities will be short about $600 million of current revenue from their current revenue base. And that will either have to be made up through, you know, furlough of uh, city uh, employees, cuts to city programming, um, uh, infrastructure projects that are simply not going to happen. Uh, you know, our cities play a role in the overall um in the overall economy, you know, those local dollars are, are in, invested and they're, they're put back into the local economy. We are a spark for economic development. Uh, if those pieces don't happen and there's not some help from the federal government uh, in the form of direct relief for cities and for cities, uh, you will see, uh, you'll end up, if you live in a municipality, you will see some effect on your life or the lives of your children or family. Uh, or the business that you run. So uh, we are we are working very, very closely with Senator Tillis and Senator Burr to get them to support cities and towns and to and to approve direct appropriation from US Treasury to cities and towns to provide revenue relief. Um, we saw in the 20, 2008, 2010 downturn, that there was not enough relief provided for cities, and we ended up extending the recession through the cuts that we had. Uh, we expect property tax uh, re- reduced property tax collections to be sort of the tail end of all of this, as in, uh, as families and businesses are no longer able to pay their mortgages or to pay their rent. You'll see uh, property taxes not get paid along the way, uh, and that just extends what is already. Uh, you know, a pretty large economic downturn nationally. So uh, we think that uh, the federal government should provide relief uh, to 
to cities and towns in North Carolina. Uh, there's been a fair amount of help for the private sector, uh, and we think that the public sector should get some help as well, and we'll continue to ask uh, the current Congress to do that for us and the state legislature to help to whatever extent they can. So uh, $600 million is a lot of money. Uh, what percentage of the average budget uh, uh, for a, a particular city would that amount to? So everybody's estimating differently. And obviously, if you're, a, if you're a resort town and you rely on occupancy tax or taxes that are generated through people staying in hotels and people buying meals in restaurants and that sort of thing for prepared meals, they're going to see a much larger downturn under this current pandemic because people are just not traveling uh, at the, to the extent that they were. So you'll see differences across our state and different, in different ways. Uh, some cities are estimating that they're going to be down 10 to 15%. Um, uh, 600 million, that's an aggregate number. Uh, there'll be some jurisdictions that won't be affected near as badly. Uh, but at the end of the day, if you live in a jurisdiction that's affected very, very badly, or it's a program that you rely on that goes away, it doesn't matter. It's still hurting you as an individual or your family. As, so, we, point, as we pointed out also, uh, the $600 million has to do with the deficit the cities have. Of course, cities are a part of a county, and the county also right. has services, and they also are going to be affected and have a budget shortfall. Is that going to be similar in size to your $600 million or more? Uh, they are, the county governments, um, they will probably be on a percentage basis will be similar. The county governments themselves are generally larger than the municipal governments. So that the total number will probably be larger for counties, but the percentage will be equivalent. So as you go to work uh, today and this week, uh, the rest of this week and next week, what's at the top of your list? What, what are the major concerns you've got that are immediate? Well, I think the, the immediate piece on my mind is I have a staff. I've got a, we've got a, we've got a staff we're trying to keep safe. So that's, that's my number one priority. We've got to make sure our staff members are safe and that their mental and emotional health is being tended to uh, because uh, this, uh, um, you know, this is just what it is. Uh, we also think about our city and can, our, our, uh, our city officials, our mayors and our council members who are out there on the front line you know, they're, they're fighting this pandemic directly through city practices. Um, the first responders that are out there, you know, they're dealing with, uh, they're dealing with this directly. And obviously, uh, we want to make sure those individuals are safe and cared for as well. Uh, I think beyond that, though, it's, it's, again, pushing our congressional delegation to do the right thing and, uh, and to provide the relief, the relief that we need. Well, we hear, we hear a term called the new normal. And uh, if you're looking ahead to the new normal, uh, we're not quite sure when that new normal is going to take effect. But uh, what are some of the things that you're learning out of this crisis that may actually, uh, in the long run, actually help us in some ways? Well, we're learning that, uh, that, that people can successfully conduct democracy and government in a virtual and remote way. Uh, that can be done. The traditional way that city council members and mayors have interacted with, uh, with their electorate and citizens has usually been very much in person. Uh, but assuming there's broadband and assuming people can, can interact remotely, uh, we are finding that 
yes, government can be conducted uh, in, a, in, a, in an alternative manner. Now, whether we're communicating as effectively, that is certainly a question that we're struggling with. It's, it is, uh, there's nothing like being with somebody face to face. And, uh, and, and obviously, we have mayors and council members now who are responsible for the mental health of their citizens in ways that they never were before. And that's a challenge. I think you told me, uh, I believe this was in one of our breaks, that uh, you recently had a virtual meeting of the cities and it was the largest attendance you'd had in some time. That's exactly right. We, uh, we traditionally have a conference that's all in person. And uh, as you might imagine, local elected officials love to network and connect with other local elected officials. In our virtual environment, though, we were able to get educational programming to them in ways that were more cost-effective and more readily uh, available for, uh, for cities and towns of all sizes and shapes, no matter where they're located. So there was an advantage in that way. Well, we also spent a lot of time in one of the earlier segments talking about broadband. And so if you missed that segment, you might want to go back and listen to that. And we also touched on the fact that uh, manpower, especially at the police departments, as far as uh, filling uh, open positions is, is a problem. Paul, we certainly appreciate you taking time to be with us. Paul Meyer, the executive director of the North Carolina League of Municipalities, uh, all of our cities and counties, as well as state government, facing a lot of issues that uh, are very, very, very concerning to all of our citizens. Uh, we will uh, invite you to be with us again next week when Jason Kong, our producer, will have another interesting guest for us. In the meantime, if you'd like to hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. That's carolinanewsmakers.com. The next week, same time, have a nice week, everybody. Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers. Newsmakers.